Hello everyone, Justin here with the Gear Priority Podcast and I hope you're ready to get slightly nerdy. Today we're talking about how sleeping pads are tested for warmth using the R-Value standard and diving deep into how the standard came to be, what goes into increasing warmth of a sleeping pad and ultimately how and when you can trust R-Value numbers to be reflective of real world performance. I'm joined by Brandon Bowers with Thermrest. Most of you probably have heard of Thermrest before they make popular sleeping pads like the X-Lite and X-Therm. Brandon has a background in industrial engineering and has been working with Thermrest for almost 25 years, so a long time. And I believe he was also involved in the working group that developed the ASTM sleeping pad R-value standard that we widely use today. Hello, Brandon. Welcome. And where are you calling in from today? Hello, Justin. I'm calling in from our Seattle um, building here in downtown South Seattle. Okay. And that's, that's the... The headquarters of Thermrest, correct? correct? Yep. Awesome. So you, you get, I, I've seen some videos with some pretty cool toys, like the cold chamber. Is is that where you, you guys also have um, an R-value testing machine over there as well? Got a number of things for testing all of our gear in, you know, Thermarest specific, but then all the other brands as well. That's cool. I've, I've, yeah, I've looked, I've looked at all the testing facilities pretty, with a lot of jealousy. I'd like to, one day my goal is to create like get a warehouse and just pump it full of like have cold rooms and humidity rooms and and also wind wind tunnels all sorts of testing facilities just to 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 do some of that testing myself and so glad glad you're here like i said we're gonna be talking about our value today i like to start things off with some rapid fire questions so the first one what are your top two favorite outdoor activities oh man being on the water and beach combing um and then exploring for like chasing a waterfall or something. Yeah. Those two things. And what's your, this is kind of a random one, but I threw it in here just, just to, just to see what you might come out with, but what is your favorite law of thermodynamics? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, I only know of number two, which is that everything's going to, you know, entropy, I think. Second law of thermodynamics. I, th- I think that's the one. I think the first one is you can't create or destroy energy. So yeah, we'll go with we'll go with number two. I think that's that's a good answer. <laughs> Are you a cat or a dog person? I'm a hybrid. It hasn't existed yet. Yeah, it's a cat dog. And what's your the favorite product that you've helped bring to market at Cascade Designs slash Thermarest? Probably our current Mondo King. Um, Stratocore Mondo King. That's that's the more like car camping geared sleeping pad. Four inch thick uh, stretch top with uh, special cut foam so that it's a little softer and packs lighter. It's it's crazy the technology that has been put into some sleeping pads and like how comfortable they get. I I sometimes sleep better out on trail or or in my tent than I I do at home. I believe it. I believe it. Yep. Right, so let's let's jump right into it. Um, I I think R value and standardized performance measurements for gear it's it's important because they help consumers make informed decisions on what to buy and how that purchase is going to perform for them out in the field. That being said, well, standards are great. It's important to understand how the testing happens and what the limitations are. So, but before we kind of get into all of that, um, can you help us understand what our value is? Maybe some of the some of the the definitions, some of the history, um, and maybe some of the non outdoor applications that may have stemmed 
are valued to be used for sleeping pads? So what R value is, it's a measure of heat transfer or lack thereof. Um, so it's really the insulation properties of an, a product or, uh, or a material to diminish heat transfer from one side to the other. So uh, really what it is, it's insulation, a, a way to gauge an insulative barrier. Uh, I honestly don't have the, the dimensions in my head for the true engineer. Um, but our value, the test that was used very early on in Thermarest was the, um, the ASTM method for testing walls. So in the construction world, you would look at how you're going to design a wall to hold out the cold. Um, and if anyone's ever insulated their house or pulled off the inner covering of their wall, you'll see this. A lot of times it's filled with all kinds of materials. Um, and oftentimes if you're using appropriate materials, it'll have an R on it. So you can go and buy insulation and it'll just say R5 or R13. Uh, and it's essentially the same, same idea. Okay. And, and I think, I, I think I heard somewhere that like the R stands for res resistance. Is that, do you know, if that's, that's correct. Like the resistance of. It's possible, but I, I can't say that for sure. I mean, it is, a, you could argue that's what it's doing. It's resisting heat transfer. Um, but then if you got into the electrical terms, that's a different thing. So I, think it might just be one of those numbers dedicated to it, right? Um, it like science does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and do you know do you know when the outdoor industry started using using the R value standard? So I'll speak from Thermarest point of view. We first established a way of measuring R value in house in around ninety six. We have documentation of that. Um, and then we started using that to advertise, um, I believe within a couple of years, we were putting that on our packaging. Um, what other companies were doing at that point, I can't say if there were other companies doing some, some formal measurement. My, my, my guess is that Thermos is probably at the forefront doing something like that. I think it's always been one of the, one of the one of the kind of champions and pioneers of, of, um, of innovation and testing and not, not to, not to, <laughs> to toot the thermarest horn too much or anything, but I, that's, that's just kind of been my experience with it. And, um, I think it's, it's interesting that thermarest is also part of the working group, um, that developed the new ASTM standard. So you had mentioned the ASTM standard that is used for construction and housing in order to measure, um, that insulation. And it, it sounds like there is kind of a modified version of that that was used in the outdoor industry for sleeping pads. But then in 2020, um, we had the, the release of the new ASTM standard that's geared towards sleeping pads. Um, can, do you, can you explain kind of why, why that new standard was, was needed and kind of what changed towards the old, old way of testing? Uh, around 2016, I believe the ASTM group formed and it was led by, uh, MEC. So mountain equipment co-op in Canada, uh, how they, a lot of times at, um, 
shows like the outdoor industry has the OR show in the summer. Um, that's usually a good um, annual meeting spot for different uh, working test groups such as tents. Um, so this one was formed and I believe there was some overlap with the tent group. And then um, that's where this group started meeting at least, you know, once annually. Um, but there were often lots of emails flying throughout the year. Um, the reason it formed is MEC and then in the U.S. REI, um, you know, purchased these brands to sell. They would buy them from us and then sell them to their uh, customers as well as developing their own products. And they were, in my opinion, the best voice to come in and realize and, and call attention to there was no good standard and that there needed to be um, just for a customer to make an informed decision and to level the playing field. Um, I believe that from my understanding, that's how the group formed. Um, and then they reached out to the many different key brands and then, um, you know, pretty much all brands for the most part were involved in that work. Um, if not, you know, every meeting they were checking in, you know, as, as it went. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I know, I think if, if, if I'm, if I'm getting my, my uh, facts correct, REI and, uh, MEC now require all sleeping pad manufacturers that they carry to, to have tested their pads with the new R value standard in order for them to carry them, which is just good. Like you said, for the consumer, the consumer knows that everything's kind of being tested the same way and is on, on the same playing field. I know from personal experience, I remember using sleeping pads that it was kind of, everyone was kind of maybe using a different testing standard and I'd use one sleeping pad in the field that had an R value of three and I'd be warm. And then I'd use another sleeping pad that had an R value of three and I'd be cold while I was out there. And it seemed like after the new standard came about, um, there's some shifting in those numbers and, and things kind of made a little bit more sense. That's not to say that I don't still see some some interesting discrepancies in in our value out there, but we'll we'll kind of talk about that a little bit a little bit later. So now that we have uh, this new R value testing standard, can you just run us through what that entails? Like what what sort of equipment's involved and um, how the sleeping pad is being tested by companies like Thermos? I know you guys have your own machine, but then I think REI and MacCap have their own as well. Yep, uh, most a lot of companies have invested in it. Um, and then there are some international testing companies that have also invested in it in Asia. So what the ASTM method did is it, number one, defined the procedure, which then by nature defines your essential equipment or what the equipment needs to do. So what, um, what you do is you are simulate, you're trying to simulate um, a person laying on a mattress um, against a cold surface and that it defines that, uh, the hot, so we have a hot plate simulating body. We have, um, the, the design, I'm sorry, the location and how to treat your test specimen. Um, and then you have a cold plate, uh, and it's temperature and what size it should be. And then finally in, uh, in the test, environment like your air temperature etc it defines that um 
and then you're and then you okay and then we're talking about uh, a program and there is a like an application to your test and how it's supposed to take readings um to eventually get what you're measuring is temperatures and you're looking at how much energy it takes to keep the hot plate hot because you're losing you know a, a well insulated product you're going to take less temperature less i'm sorry less energy to keep your hot plate hot than you would on a very poor insulating material so it's all about using electricity and the flow of electricity to keep the product hot and then um, converting that to like power so uh it and so hopefully that wasn't too much in the weeds but essentially it is still very much mimicking what happens your your warm body is being protected by the cold surface with the product and how well does it protect it okay so you're kind of cr you're creating a, a sandwich like you have this hot plate and then you, ha you have the the sleeping pad and you have the cold plate which is the ground and you just sandwich them together and kind of measure how much energy is being lost to that cold plate from the the hot plate okay interesting yeah it's it was and as you you hinted at um there's different methods for well in our discussion before there's different ways you can lose heat there's um conduction convection and radiation and so the hot wants to go to the cold it's a part of science right and um so it's reliant on that um one other thing i wanted to mention so that that's the equipment also there was uh, a good amount of work in how you condition your product and then if the product um, doesn't quite fit like like the certain size that the product has to be for instance if you had a super narrow product you would possibly need to make just a test a test product for the tap for the r value um i would say in most cases that doesn't happen so are most companies are, is, for most testing is it happening on like a 20 inch wide sleeping pad um or will would testing happen on a 25 inch wide sleeping pad is that is that width 20 inches is acceptable so 20 to 25 um and then you talk about the shape so that if you have a, a shaped product, then there has to be a minimum. It, don't quote me. It might be like 18 inches um, of width. If let's say that it's really curved, um, that's where it would come into. You might have to make your own not true product so that it was big enough, uh, but it will accommodate up to 25 inches. Um, so you're looking at 20 to 25 inches, no problem. And then the other thing is that it tests in three different regions of your mattress. And part of that is because we now have mattresses with different insulations at different points of the mattress. Uh, and then just some basic science of you have to provide three separate samples and then you test those in three separate places and do an average. Um, so there's a lot of details in there that um, inevitably cause those everybody's R value to adjust a little bit. Um, one of the things that was significant for us is our air pads. The 
my predecessor always wanted to deflate them slightly to about 80, 90% of thickness. Well, this standard um, holds the pressure internal of all, all air holding specimens to like 0.5 PSI, which means you're going to test to a full height and that increased our R value on all of our air mattresses. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. And for the, what popped into my mind when I was thinking about that is if, if I was manufacturing, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm mistaken in how, how the system would be affected by this, but I'd probably want to, to limit all external surface area that's around those two plates, because if that's exposed to the air, then there's a chance that that's just colder temperature that's being, that's influencing that, um, that whole system. Is that, so do, do companies try and do that? It is true. And it does, it is an effect. So, um, again, I'm, don't take my word for the Bible here on this, but the, I believe the, the actual test device has a 12 by 12 inch plate surrounded by a 20 by 20 inch guard. So, uh, it does help make up for the different sizes and also heights. So with air mattresses, there is a, it is a, um, an effect that you are going to lose more air out the side, the higher a product is, unless you were to construct it in a way that that warm air travel couldn't escape out the sides. Um, I don't know of a product that's doing that yet for air products. Foam naturally does, you know, you have to travel through the foam any which way and it's insulative. Um, but air pads, yes, the thicker they are, the more, um, air, the more heat you're going to lose out the sides as well as through the bottom and the cold, uh, ground. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that I've been seeing is as, as we've kind of, even since 2020, when the, the new standard came out, we've seen bit of an arms race and sleeping pad thickness where some are hitting like four and a half, five inches thick. And it's, it's a little bit, a little bit crazy and Un unnecessary. I, for me, unnecessary because just the way I sleep, even as a side sleeper, I find like two and a half, three, three and a half inches, kind of the nice sweet spot. Um, and then I, I have noticed with, with some sleeping pad technologies and, and the way they're built, a lot of cold air is coming in the sides and there's not effective um, convective heat loss prevention, I'm guessing, in order to, to prevent that cold air from getting in the sides and then and cooling cooling me off. It's more geared towards that. The insulation is geared more towards kind of an up and down system, which is what the air value is testing than as much in from the sides. So it's, yeah, that's, that was an interest, interesting thing that I noticed. And I, I am curious... When thermo, because you guys had had your own machine, our value testing machine before, did you have to make any changes to it when the new standard came into play, or is it? We no, we invested in a new machine, so um, ours was different enough. And the other thing is that ours was somewhat uh, not portable, and the new system was portable, um, which was important. Just you know, as places of work change or you need to move a lab. So, um, it was worth the investment for us. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Cause I was, I kind of, I, I kind of thought maybe, maybe it was different, but in interesting to hear that it's, it's kind of like a different enough machine. It, and how, how long did you guys have that older machine? Cause I imagine technology has probably also changed. 
Yeah, since 96. So we invested in it 96. Now, the company that we worked with is the company that um, we bought the new machine from. So um, the main difference, I'd say, I'm sure the technology, well, I I actually don't understand the sensing technology that it's the company's called Thermetrics uses, um, but the fundamental difference from our original system to this new system is that we controlled the ambient air to create the cold environment. So we had a guarded hot plate and then the ambient and the cold plate were the same. Okay, so the new system um, created the heart, used the guarded hot plate, an actively cooled cold plate, and then um, basically like seven, 68 degree, 20 degrees C ambient air, which you could use in like a standard lab environment. So, so that honestly is easier too, because we had a, we used our cold chamber to actively cool the big cold plate and um, is a little bit more cumbersome in summer. Our uh, freezer would freeze up, freeze up and we'd have to wait for it to thaw. So, because it was basically a big air conditioner or a refrigerator. I mean, when, when you guys were, when you're, when you were part of the, the, uh, the standard development team, were there any challenges that came about or any, any budding, budding heads? And I imagine if, if there's stakeholders from a bunch of different places, then everyone would be kind of lobbying potentially for their technology to be maybe a little bit biased, um, for, or was it? I, I didn't feel or observe much of that at all. And to me, what I did observe is, um, people, this group, as I would say, a lot of the people I've worked with over 24 years in the outdoor industry, um, it's a good industry to work in. Like people, I haven't worked outside of it too much, but the integrity seems pretty high from what you might expect and meaning like just in general at someone's working place. So no, I think people worked, they, their, their ammunition or their belief was like, I want the truth and then we're going to make the best one. And uh, so that part of it is always, you know, it's one reason I've loved working in the outdoor industry. Was it mostly engineers and designers that were, were on the team? Like kept, kept the marketers? Yeah, no, there wasn't really, no. It was technical-minded people wanting to get to, you know, as po- as accurately as possible to make a test that that represented what the product does. That, that, makes, that makes, makes sense that there is, uh, yeah, just kind of a single, everyone was kind of on the same page and driving towards the same same goal in that sense because that, it's more just about the science than, than anything else. So I, I want to kind of dive into a little bit, a little bit more of the, the technical aspects of kind of linking sleeping pad design to, to the R value testing and, and how, how those two things kind of work, work together before kind of jumping into a little bit, maybe the, the limitations of R value testing. Cause I think this will kind of set us up, um, for that. I, I know based on kind of my, my, I have a little bit of a science background and just, just enough to kind of be dangerous, but, um, the, the heat transfer mechanisms that, that I, I remember are convection, um, that 
radiation and then conduction, kind of those three being the main ones that are probably influencing sleeping pad insulation. Um, and I know, can you speak just a little, maybe a little bit just for an example, as far as like, like a lot of people are familiar with the Thermrest X-Lite sleeping pad. Um, there's a few different technologies in there that are kind of targeting one or two or three of those different things. I'll actually take it a little bit further back. So, um, when Thermarest was founded in like early, I think it's 72, the whole thing there was people were using either closed cell foam, which is bulky, but light. And it is still very much, when you think of foam, it's a bunch of cells, um, with little thin walls of plastic. So they'd use that or they'd use like a blow up pool float or heavy duty blow up pool float. So it wouldn't pop on you. Um, so the pool floats were more cushiony, but they were not insulative. They're just, basically you had one layer of air between you and the ground. Whereas the closed cell foam, you actually had millions of little cells, but it wasn't that thick. So, um, so when Thermarest was created, it, it had one of these like multiple levels of benefit. So number one, you could putting a valve on it, using the foam as a spring and rolling the air out and closing it made it easy to carry. And then using that foam to draw in the air. Also that foam was cushiony, um, for extra comfort. And then finally the air, the open cell foam created, you know, again, thousands of little cells of pockets, which are basically layers um, of air to stop uh, heat transfer. So foam is really one of the like most common insulators. It's in like fiberglass insulation is in in a way doing the same thing. It's just interrupting that ability for heat to travel. And then also, so you have the convection of air wanting to circulate, but you also have um, a material that doesn't like to transfer heat anyway, which is similar to like electricity. So metal likes to transfer heat. If you, anyone who's grabbed a hot pan, not realizing that the handle started to heat up, you know, like, oh, but you put wood on the handle. The wood doesn't like to transfer heat as much. And then we know like fiberglass, um, certain materials really don't transfer heat well. So, so foam would be a really good insulator always. We kind of know that. Um, so then when you get into our fancy products, like, like our X-Lite and X-Therm, what we did is we created, we started to, what, what I would say is you're going to have more success when an air product is able to create more cells, um, which sounds a lot like foam. So our air product structure um, created extra air cells so that you had the convection blocking um, with just the air cells. But then we also added in the reflective layers that addressed the radiative loss of heat so that your body heat um, actually is reflect the radiative layer reflects your heat back to you also. Um, and radiative heat loss is is something that I had to learn about more and I still don't feel confident talking about it as a science person, but that it is different than convection and conduction that, um, so it is infrared 
energy that it's electromagnetic energy that gets transferred. Um, I do think you need to address all three if possible. Um, within a mattress, for the most part, convection heat loss uh, is less of an issue. So it's probably more conduction and, and radiative. Um, air does move, though. We toss and turn, um, but the whole system, the whole mattress is enclosed. So when you get into systems, you start talking about what a closed loop is and um, and then it's sort of up to you to figure out if it's a closed loop or not because inside of a tent, for sure, it's a closed loop for the most part, right? Okay, that's, that's interesting because I think something that, that I, I've noticed is it, it, see, and, and it seems like the more structure there is inside of the sleeping pad, which I imagine is what's helping with convective heat transfer, the the more efficient it becomes, especially as the pad gets gets thicker. I got uh, that's an anecdotally something that that I've noticed um, while out there, and I think I think maybe that's because of heat coming in from the sides, like because we like I think in the real world, like we're talking about, we have that sandwich of like someone on top sleeping pad and then the cold cold ground beneath but then when you start introducing cold from the sides then you kind of need to prevent prevent that as well is is that what the the goal of the triangular core matrix and the x light x therm i wouldn't say it was trying to address that but the tricore matrix does create uh an extra layer um that the air needs to fight through as you heat heat air up or transfer yeah you're you're heating the air layer up so then it wants to it might start creating a little convective circle um but it can't go through that middle layer that is there so then you know as i even earlier i'm like well i said convection isn't as important it's part of it inside the little system um so yeah <laughs> i would say <laughs> I don't want to, I've made a living, you know, working in this industry, but there's still some like it, it, it's a head scratch. It's like, okay, what's exactly going on here? And then really that's, you know, what you might do. And we've done it before is with these R value, the R value equipment is you can test your theories and change one thing and say, well, what does this do to the R value? Do you, do you have any examples? Are you able to talk about any of those examples of some tweaks that you guys have made to kind of see what might happen and then what the results were. I think it would not be wise of me to describe that. I would just say that when you do, and, and it's not, um, now at this point, all companies have that ability. They can make, make up different samples and then try them, right? When you have your own equipment, it can be, you can turn that around faster maybe, or be able to just say, oh, well, what if, uh, yeah, what if you, you can just tweak the experiment faster. Uh, yeah. Just, um, I just want to kind of jump into uh, something that we used to see, but now, now don't really. And that's temperature, like a temperature rating being attributed to a sleeping pad. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious as to why that might, from kind of your, your perspective, why that might not be the best 
way to testify like what why our value is is a kind of a better standard um perfect yeah first of all temper a temperature rating giving an actual celsius or fahrenheit temperature was discussed in the astm meeting um as creating a scale or something of that nature um the number one it sort of went beyond the scope that the astm group felt and i was in agreement with that myself um so then the question was well do we work to have sort of a uh, do we have a market encompassing scale and that really did not come um the the astm working group that had a bunch of different brands represented uh, didn't feel that that was necessary. Um, the The challenge of using a temperature, like an actual number, number one is that we all sleep different. Um, and, and what is warm enough for you is not going to be the same for your mother or your wife or your daughter or your son. Um, so... It was a really nice way, I feel like, to say, okay, this our value is a scientific measurement, and then that way we can give the customer um, a very repeatable number. And the way I would describe to anybody is you just need to get some experience under your belt and, and be cautious initially and you buy something that would, you know, you ask your friends, you ask around, um, you kind of aim aim a little bit more cautious if you're an avid outdoors person but but new to it and then get a little bit more adventurous with it so the reason um so that's one reason why you it's uh, the industry really doesn't give solid numbers in temperature the other reason is that the ground you're sleeping on and how it's insulative is a big part of this so uh, a great example would be you could sleep on a glacier in the summer. So the glacier is ice, but the air temperature might be 50 degrees. So what temperature are we saying, you know, that that's just a quick example of that. That makes a lot of sense. And I've definitely experienced that where I've, I've been sleeping on semi-frozen ground in the, in the springtime. Maybe the air temperature is 20 degrees Celsius. I think that's around like 70 degrees Fahrenheit, but then... I like I I need something with a much higher R value than maybe at the same air temperature, but in the fall, like late summer or fall, where the ground is is thawed, maybe holding on to quite a bit more heat from from during the day. It's it's a completely different kind of environment. But I, I guess I guess uh, so. It makes sense to me that that air temperature and and that's the R value st- testing system is is kind of a good example of why air temperature isn't really the best measurements. You have that cold ground, you have a person, and then you have the the insulating pad in between you so that's yeah i i know some some companies that like I, I think a lot of companies these days they have some sort of um guide to yeah we use that one we still use a guide but we've tried our best to not use definitive numbers so to speak and and to give sort of a, a guideline and make it clear that this is a guideline not you know um a scientific number so that yeah and i think that's it you can generally correlate that something in the 70s 80s 90s and the, is going to be a warmer you're going to you're going to have a warmer experience even with even with the ground compared to something in like 
below freezing. So I, I think it's 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 good for especially people like you said if they if it's if they if they're buying their first sleeping pad then probably a good idea to err on the side of caution within those those recommendation limits. But um, and then work their way down and, and and I always encourage people to rent rent gear. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, and I do. Um, interestingly, I've over the years it sort of dawned on me a good way to ask people is like what what we've all had difficult sleeping experiences from just having to crash at a friend's house in a bad environment or bad bed um, to being outdoors. And it's for the most part, I would say people's like worst or close to their worst sleeping nights are more about that they were cold versus uncomfortable. Now that might not be the case for a person, but it's something to keep in mind. Which would you rather have? <laughs> would you rather be cold, colder than you thought, or would you rather be, you know, just keep that in mind? So um, it is an interesting way because we tend to think we're more worried about being comfortable. So we think of that cushion. I need something really cushy. Um, but it's just a, a another one another way to look at it that is dawned on m even myself. Um, on the on the flip side. Um, part of that can be the adventure for some of us. Some of us can say, you know what, I'm going to go out with my, we have an Uber light, right? And so some of us is, have used the Uber light when it's, you know, in the shoulder seasons and just seeing how it goes. And uh, maybe you bring uh, extra clothes or something. Um, so it, it is fun. And I would say people who get into it realize sort of they, they customize their system on how they're going to sleep and, and that experience uh, they learn how it works for them. I do know some of our folks use a really warm pad more year round and then just plan on, you know, maybe they don't take a 20 degree bag that time. They take a lighter bag. Yeah. Like you said, everyone's personal preferences are different. I know people who sleep on a cl thin closed cell phone pad in the sh cold shoulder seasons and they're completely okay. And also has to do a little bit with like sites, campsite selection and so many different, different factors. And a lot of, yeah, it's crazy how much trial and error can go into, uh, into just going on a camping or backpacking trip. That's an important one too, is even camp, campsite selection. I've learned through scout, like my son was in scouts too, about how cold air will pool in valleys. Um, so if you're like right at the bottom of a valley, it's going to get coldest there quick, stuff like that. When putting together the new standard, I think like it was interesting to hear you, you you kind of mentioned that having the room as kind of a standardized factor was, I, I think you said that was a new part of the 2020 standard. Um, were, the, were there, did you guys look at how different things like humidity and, and, and that kind of thing might factor or impact the, the testing as it happened? Like, did, did, was there any testing as far as like something like a hot, if the room was a hundred percent humidity versus like 20% relative humidity? I'm not recalling that test. It might've happened. I think it was more focused on just the temperature. Um, and again, part of it that we were all keeping in mind was trying to make a standard that, um, uh, was, we'll say more easily repeatable for a lab, you know, 
to to invest in. So one challenge there would be if you if you did want to do this test, if you did hold a higher than normal uh, humid environment, then that you're like, okay, now someone needs to control their humid environment. So um, if they did look at it, I would be surprised if it moved the bar much. But um, that was one thing that we considered. We're like, we want this to be. We don't want um, some system that's really hard to achieve because then it's going to, people are going to, people, the industry is going to be hard to adopt it. Uh, so that, that was taken into consideration. Were there any other, I don't want to call them like trade-offs necessarily, but um, considerations that were made to kind of, to make this, the testing system easier, but maybe wasn't accounting for something that may be impacting an R value number. I'm trying to think. Um, I do know our closed cell pads um, took a hit. And part of that was that our compression of the closed cell pad in the Thermarest earlier version, like at pre-2016, uh, we was less than this current system. So the new or the new system. So the new system um, compressed closed cell more, which reduced its R value. And uh, it's not unreasonable how much it compresses it. Uh, but I do think it might it might give a little bit less reading of what the closed cell pads actually do for you, or at least um, molded closed cell pads. So, so by molded, you mean like the accordion style ones, like that have like the divots and anything with ridges that um, can collapse a little bit when you lay on it. So the whole thing comes down to well, what's that? You know, a, a body's laying on a product, and you have these different pressure points. So it like at your shoulder blades, it collapses the product a little bit more, or a mattress, you sink into it a little bit more. Um, so with closed cell. I would say it adversely affected closed cell the most. So our old standard was higher and then this new standard was lower. And when we say standard, I think it's important to note pre-2020, there was no standard. It was all self-imposed and how a, how a company advertised their R value or, uh, or insulative ability. Oh yeah, that's a good point. So just kind of build off that. So when people, cause like we're, we, we talked about how our value is, is kind of like a, a, a comparison measure that people can use. Should they be looking at like self-inflating versus air filled versus closed cell foam as three separate pools of, of data, I guess, for our value? Like, like you can't really like, would you say you can compare like a closed cell foam pad R value? It'd be comparable to like a air mattress inflated? Okay. Yes. I would say that this test does exactly that. Um, the, yeah, it really, it's, it's, that's exactly what this did. Um, I think there was some question as to like, do air products behave differently? It's like, no. So, so what, and I would say we found that to be true as well, just for 
people using the products and hearing like what they're willing to take for cold weather, you know, in air versus foam over the years. So, okay. That's, that's good to know. Cause I think, I think, um, yeah, some, some people might think that they would be, they would be comparable, but I guess it's, it's all measuring the same, same thing out there. Right. So, well, so the one thing I would say for, for air, and I explained it earlier that we were testing our air pads a little bit under inflated. So there, the pressure in the pad was probably, mm, and you know, like maybe a 10th of a PSI. So if a person really likes a flat air pad, which, you know, there's always outliers. So it seems a little unusual to me, but if you like air pads and you like to sleep on them under inflated, they are going to be colder than advertised from my experience. And that's a good point. I think, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And that's, I, I've told people, like, I've told a lot of people that where they've come to me and said, for example, like the, their X-Therm wasn't as warm as they thought it was going to be. And from personal experience, it's, 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 it's a very, very warm sleeping pad. But I asked them like, what inflation level did you have? And they said, well, I was like, I, I deflated until my hip and shoulders were just above the ground. And I, I told them like, that's probably why you're not maximizing that resistance, like that temperature gradient, um, and insulation there. So, yeah. And again, this is one of those things. It's like, um, in a perfect world, right. You would, you could easily like have a little kiosk wherever someone buys things and you could explain to them this, but, um, yeah, when, if you're touching the ground, um, you're helping conduction, you know, so and that, and you can just, most of us who spent enough time on that, you're like, oh, like I can, I can feel that cold on my hip, you know? So if you were in a survival mode, pump that air mattress up as hard as you can. <laughs> well, that's great. I, I really appreciate the in-depth conversation. I think we dove deep into some cool aspects of our value, the testing system. Um, I think, I think we're going to, we're going to wrap things up now. I definitely want to, um, probably have have another conversation at some point about kind of the limitations of our of our value but we'll save that for for another episode um but any any closing thoughts on on our value and the testing uh the one thing i would say if anyone's really interested in it um reiterate that it is a personal thing and what you like and um if you geek out about that sort of thing that can be part of the fun um also sharing like you said sharing equipment and checking with other people is part of the fun too hey how do you how did this work out for you um that really builds the best um understanding in my opinion along with the knowledge like this definitely and i think it's it's important to get a background of the science and then like for get the the testing out there that's one of my my kind of what i see one of my purposes is as a gear review tester on youtube is to be testing lots of different gear i think i tested over 40 different sleeping pads out in the real world under kind of as standard conditions as I can get and um, trying to share that information with people. So uh, very interesting. Thank you very much, Brandon. And uh, we will talk to you later.